Thank you for joining us this week on The Tongue with Dr. Mike. I'm so glad you're here with us again. This is a special Merry Christmas this week going out to everybody. Remember to visit our website, thetonguespeakslife.com. That's the center for everything associated with what we're doing. You can access our, our podcasts on there. You can get to Pillars of Heaven from on there. You can access our full catalog. You can go to anywhere you listen to podcasts to hear our full range and our full library of podcasts. And I know if you're on Facebook, you need to be going over to Psalm 34.6 Ministries. Make sure you join that group, Psalms. 346ministries.org. You can go there. Our projects are pushing along. JB is working tirelessly behind the scenes. Thank God for him. Get involved in our community. Put some scripture out there. Join the conversation. You can submit prayers right on there. Um, make sure you're listening to Pillars of Heaven. Uh, that's a great podcast with JB, Joanna, and Leah, myself. Uh, we have special guests on there. We cover a wide range of topics. If you have a topic you want to get on there, just shoot us an email. It's that simple. Uh, you can look at all of our missions going on there. A Bible for Every Believer is on there. Remember, the thetonguespeakslife.com. Get uh, over to there. You can check out Cure International. I'm going to keep plugging Cure because I really believe in what they're doing. It's a great thing. They're, they're changing the lives of children across the world. And now until the end of uh, this month, all the donations there are being matched. It's a great opportunity for you to get involved. They are proclaiming the kingdom of God. Um, they help the surgical hospitals there that serve children. It is fantastic what they're doing. Check it out. That's cureinternational.org. You can check that out right on the Tongue Speaks Life. Uh, you can donate right to the tongue down there at the bottom of the page. Uh, you can donate to any of our missions that are going on from Pillars of Heaven to the Tongue with Dr. Mike to the Bibles for Every Believer to our, our very special um, outreach programs with our Christian uh, uh, Christmas uh, blessings we're doing. JB and I are going shopping this week uh, to bless uh, Safe Harbor again. So, uh, you know, as our family keeps growing, we, I just want to say welcome back. Merry Christmas. God bless you wherever you're listening to this. And, and, you know, may God bless you as this wide reach of this program and let it just keep shooting right out there. Let it go farther than we could ever imagine, right? So, Today's topic, we're going to continue and we're going to wrap up the Advent season. Uh, this is our final week of Christmas. Um, so let's just jump into it. We got a lot to go over. This is, uh, so the last couple weeks we've been talking about if you participate in the candle lighting, you would have lit, uh, number one, the candle of hope, the prophet candle, um, then you would also have lit the candle of faith or the Bethlehem candle. You would, uh, by now, the candle of joy last week was the shepherd's candle. And uh, we know that that one is rose or it's an off color because it signifies joy. We talked about that. This uh, last week here, there's a candle of peace. This is the angel's candle. Uh, this is the fourth candle. It announces that Jesus came to bring peace. He came to bring people peace with God and, and, and with each other again, right? So, so what is the candle of love and, and the Christ candle for Advent, right? We've talked about the four candles that decorate the outer edges of the Advent wreath uh, with the one white candle sitting in the middle. That's the Christ candle. And in this final week of Advent, churches will light two candles, the candle of love and the Christ candle. So as a reminder, uh, we've covered the different candles that churches light weekly, starting with the first week in December and going right up into the end of this week, right? So churches will typically adorn an Advent wreath 
during December. Four candles decorate the outer edge, and the white one sits right in the middle. The church will end up lighting each of the candles each week, and on Christmas Eve and on Christmas Day, they will light the candles in the center. Right, so the candles remind us of the attributes of God, you know, and and um, the attributes that we use during our anticipation of Christ's coming, right? His first coming for Christmas and his long-awaited second coming, right? So remember, the past few candles were candle of hope, candle of peace, candle of joy, right? So in this final week, we're going to light both candles, right? The fourth and fifth Advent candles which is uh, the fourth one is a candle of love. So before we dive into that, we, we should keep in mind that, uh, you know, some church traditions vary on which candle goes on which Sunday. You know, some may light the love candle on the second Advent instead of the fourth. Others light the candle of peace on the fourth week uh, instead of the candle of love. It, it doesn't matter, right? As stated, you know, some churches will light uh, the candle of faith on the second Sunday instead of the candle of peace. No matter what the church tradition is, uh, you can assuredly know that the virtues such as love and hope and peace and joy and faith are important in the Christmas story as well as in our daily lives with Christ, right? So whichever we celebrate on whatever Sunday of Advent, uh, you know that all of those are important hallmarks of the Christian faith and the journey. So with that being said, you know, the symbolism of the love candle, um, otherwise known as the angel candle, this candle represents purity, Right. We see the other candles representing a part of the Christmas story in addition to virtues. Right. So week one, the prophecies about the coming Messiah. Week two is Bethlehem, you know, Jesus's birthplace. Week three is the shepherds who came to see Jesus. And now week four, we have the angels who are proclaiming the good news of Jesus birth to the shepherds. So, you know, love plays a vital role in the Christmas story because of Joseph's love for Mary. He didn't stone her, you know, when he found out she was pregnant with what he thought was a child out of wedlock with another man. You can read that in Matthew one, you know, Mary was a natural motherly love for Jesus. And ultimately we see that God's love for everyone by, you know, sending his son, John three sixteen. you know, that one by heart. Everyone knows that Jesus focused, you know, basically on preaching love throughout his entire ministry. Two of his greatest commands involved love, love God, love your neighbor, right? Love is the greatest of all the virtues on the Advent wreath. And it encompasses Jesus's entire purpose for being on earth, right? And, and we know the Bible's got a ton to say about love. You know, depending on your translation of the Bible, uh, that word appears between 100 and 300 times throughout Scripture, right? It, it makes sense that God is love, right? We know that we as Christians, they know us by our love, right? And love's, uh, love sacrificed Jesus' uh, son for our sins, right? Like the, the, the entire theme of love uh, alone, you know, if you go in the first Corinthians, that tallies off a number of characteristics of love, right? It's patient, it's kind, it doesn't envy, etc. We can go over and over with that, right? You can't walk with Christ without it. And you can't have the Christmas story without it. You know, think about Charlie Brown Christmas, you know, when Linus says, that's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown, right? So some churches on Christmas or, or, or the Sunday after Christmas will, they'll take all the, the candles and leave just the Christ candle, showing that the old has passed away and the new has come, right? In other words, the law the Jews followed in the Old Testament, the sinful nature of man, all of it has passed away and Christ has brought that new covenant, a new promise of salvation, 
right? Sometimes churches will make the Christ candle larger than, than the rest of it to show that Christ is the reason for the hope, for the peace, for the joy, for the love that we have, right? It's important that, you know, you remember Jesus is indeed the reason for this season. So in addition to the love candle, um, the churches will light the white candle at the center of the wreath on Christmas Day or Christmas Eve, right? And that white candle, it just symbolizes Christ's purity, showing Christ was blameless, right? You have to keep in mind that churches can vary on the candle colors, um, and not everyone chooses uh, to light a white candle for Christ. But not surprisingly, the Christ candle represents Christ and the role he plays in the Christmas story. Right, Jesus brought light into the world through the arrival on earth as a baby. So you can't be Christians without Christ and without love. Otherwise, our works and our purpose on earth are for nothing. You know, we need Christ and Christ's love to share the good news of salvation throughout the earth. Christ connects all those candles, all the Advent candles, right? Through him, we have hope, peace, joy, love. Without him, why have any of those? right? Christ steps down into darkness to light the world. Because of him, we can have a light unto others showing the true meaning of Christmas, right? So, you know, the whole meaning of Christmas can be explained in one four-letter word, and that's love. You know, God sent his gift of pure love to us on that first Christmas. You know, love descended from heaven to be born of a virgin. Love lay in the scratchy hay of a manger in a, in a meager barn in Bethlehem. You know, God was robed in this delicate skin of a baby and wrapped in swaddling clothes. And, and you know, in this final advent, uh, this helps us reflect on the magnitude of love that was manifest in Jesus. He is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Messiah, the ruler of all. Yet he came not as a lion, but as a lamb. He came as an innocent baby whose purpose was to walk this earth in complete love and then to sacrificially give his life as an atonement for the sins of your children, right? God with us, Emmanuel, love in the form of a man. There is no greater love than this, that a man should lay down his life for his friends. He willingly gave the gift of his life because of his love. His righteous blood covered your sin. He redeemed and restored us. When, when we confess the Lord and Savior of our life, in that moment, we're given the gift of love for all eternity. We receive grace upon grace and mercy upon mercy in that moment, right? The greatest gift of all that came that first Christmas. It, was, it wasn't wrapped in a beautiful package and sent, sent under a tree. You know, that came wrapped in the flesh of a baby and laid in, in, in a manger. The perfect gift w would would later be rewrapped in the scars of our sin and nailed to the, uh, a cross on Calvary, all because of love, right? So, Father, you know, when, when you say your prayers, fill our hearts and minds with the significance of that truth. Thank you, Lord, for loving us enough to send Jesus, right? Uh, there's a ton of scripture we can get into. If you have a pen, uh, I'm going to go over a couple here. I want to get into a little, a little bit of... Uh, some other things here. So if you have a pen, write down Luke chapter two, verse 11, uh, go to Isaiah seven fourteen, John one 14, John three 16, of course, uh, John one 16, flip over to Philippians two, eight through 10, go to Titus three verses four through seven, back to Luke chapter 23 verses 33 and 34 and the next chapter, Luke 24, 46 to 49. 
Okay, so uh, there's a couple. I'm going to go over a couple scriptures here. Um, but, you know, this Advent is a journey through the biblical story, pointing out, you know, all the promises of God. And you find all of this in Christ, right? Yeah, you remember the faithful, the faithfulness as we look forward to Christ's second coming. So let's jump into some Old Testament readings. Okay, some Old Testament passage for this week uh, deals with prophecy, really, and they're fulfilled by Jesus' birth. The Isaiah 7.10 recounts the story of the king of Judah at the time when Judah was facing a foreign invasion, right? So the king hoped for help from the king of Assyria. The prophet Isaiah, however, downplays the human-oriented deliverance and instead points to God's divine intervention to bring about his kingdom, an intervention that would come through a baby born in Bethlehem. Isaiah says, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Right? You can see something similar happening uh, to that in Second Samuel, right? In chapter 7, when God corrects King David's human plans by revealing his divine plan, right? When David starts to make plans to build a temple for God to dwell in, God counters that, you know, he himself will build his own house through the dynasty of David, ultimately dwelling among his people as God as God with us, Emmanuel, in Christ Jesus, right? God promises that he'll make David, uh, David a great name, give, uh, you know, give his people eternal rest from enemies and give them uh, an everlasting kingdom. All those promises are fulfilled in the coming of Jesus, right? And Micah, he, Micah looked forward to how God will ru rule over his people through Jesus, he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, and they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. Right? That's Micah 5, 4. In Psalms 80, we see, you know, the praying for deliverance and restoration. Because of God's past deliverance, you know, uh, they call on God once again to let his face shine upon the people so that they can be saved. You know, the Gospel of John says that those who have seen the face of Jesus Christ have seen the face of God. In Jesus Christ, God fulfills his promise of salvation by making his face shine upon his people. That's John 14. You can read that verse 9. In Psalms, you know, you're shown God's steadfast love and faithfulness. God said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant, I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. Right. And God said he would be faithful to David. And through Jesus, God keeps that promise. Right. So if you jump over to the New Testament now for Advent, uh, you can reflect on God's faithfulness to his promises. You know, the gospel was promised beforehand through God's prophets in the scriptures concerning his son, who was, you know, descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Right? The good news of salvation is that God has been faithful to his promise to David in sending Jesus Christ, the only son of God. Right In Hebrews, uh, we're reminded that Christ's coming obliterates the old system of sacrifice, you know, through the sacrifice Jesus made for us once and for all. Because of Jesus' sacrificial death on our behalf, we've been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all, right? Jesus' birth points uh, forward to the cross, really. And, and Karl Barth put it, except we see the cross of Golgotha, we cannot hear the gospel at the crib of Bethlehem, 
right? Some of the gospel readings uh, during this week, you, they all tell about the story of the angel coming to Mary and to Joseph to announce Christ's birth. Right in, in Matthew one, the angel Gabriel tells Joseph that Mary will bear a son, and that you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. That fulfilled what the Lord promised to the prophet Isaiah. Right, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Right. Luke tells uh, another story that connects Jesus's birth to the lineage of David. The angel tells Mary that her son will be great and will be called the son of the most high and the Lord will give him the throne of David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom. There will be no end, right? So let's go to, uh, I know we talk about the advent wreath a lot, uh, you know, and the color of the purple candle and the angel candle, the candle of love, um, but there's a lot of prayer that goes on with that. You know, in the center, you've got the Christ candle, which is lit on Christmas Eve, typically. Um, it represents the pure Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world, right? And, you know, there's a quick prayer we can go over here uh, before we pray at the end. But the Advent season is a journey, right? It's through the biblical story that shows us all that the promises of God find their yes in Christ, right? Advent points us to Jesus, Right at his first coming, which we celebrate at Christmas, Jesus he showed us his humility, right, his love for us, and his heart of grace towards sinners and sufferers. At his second coming, which we look forward to, he will complete what he started at his birth, bringing a final end to suffering, to sin and death, right, restoring his creation and setting up a new kingdom of righteousness and peace. You now God keeps his promises. Right, Father, you know, thank you for the unconditional love that offers us grace in the midst of our sin, right? Help us to show the same love to those around us. You know, let us be conduits of kindness and, and forgiveness. Fill us with the Holy Spirit who guides us as we await the return of your son, right? Amen. So if I were to ask you to close your eyes and, and picture Christmas, what's, what, what vision will come to your head? Right. Perhaps it would be the image of, you know, your extended family gathered around the dining room table, enjoying a special meal. Um, maybe you would picture you and your spouse in front of the window watching snow fall in the December wind. You know, you can picture your children ripping open presents in front of a tree, the room lit with Christmas lights and laughter, you know, or maybe it'd be. Uh, you know, the family gathered around grandpa or grandma listening to the, the Christmas story from, you know, Luke chapter two, happy memories, right? Good times. But for others, those pictures wouldn't be quite as joyful, right? Perhaps the Christmas season brings back painful memories of difficult times or lost loved ones, you know, shattered plates or slamming doors or empty chairs. Maybe Christmas fills you with delight and peace. Maybe it's cause for anxiety and dread. You know, it's true that we could look at all the same thing, Christmas, and come up with something completely different with emotions and responses. You know, have you ever considered that the same was true for the first Christmas when Jesus came into the world, right? The people we see in the Christmas story experienced things that were unique in, in, this, in this period of history and throughout the whole world, right? This, this period is completely different things that were never seen before and have not been seen since, 
right? Like naturally they responded in different ways. For some, like Jesus brought hope. For others, it brought fear. For some, you know, he was God's greatest gift, but for others, he was a challenge to their authority, right? Over the next few days, as we approach the celebration of Christ's birth, we'll look at some of the emotions and responses that were evoked when Jesus was born to Mary and Joseph in, in a simple manger, right? But while we tend to read quickly through the biblical account, you know, slow down and consider how the these very real people, uh, everyone involved there had very real emotions related to that, you know, to the coming Messiah. You know, that's all through through Luke, right? It's hard not to be intrigued or impressed by Mary. You know, she was just a teenager, which some are estimating between 13 and 16 years old, you know, when the angel appeared, uh, appeared to her. And, and, you know, I can just imagine how a teen today would have reacted if an angel of the Lord showed up in their room, right? Especially the ones we talk about, we didn't get to, you know, the ones that are talked about in Ezekiel, but that'll freak you out, you know? Uh, my guess is that her immediate response would be would be fear, you know, screaming or crying. You know, the overwhelming nature of an experience like that would, would be enough to cause sheer panic, you know, especially if we see, uh, like I said, those angels in Ezekiel. When the, you know, that angel appeared with a joyful message, right? He said, rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women, you know? But the Bible says that Mary was troubled, right? <laughs> the, the angel even encouraged her and said, do not be afraid. So, you know, you would expect Mary to struggle with this life-changing revelation that she would bear the very son of God. After all, you know, things seemed to be going okay. She was engaged to a man, and Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, The holy and holy is his name. You know, Luke chapter one names Joseph, but, um, you know, now she is going to be the gossip of the town, right? A, a scandal of, of an unwed pregnancy would not go unnoticed, you know, or, or unanswered by critics, you know, by saying that an angel visit her, you know, would likely cause more questions than answers. But, but Mary was clearly no normal you know, youngster, a teenager, you know, after her initial response, Mary embraces her calling as the earthly mother of Jesus. In what is called the song of Mary, we see a young woman who considers herself blessed, who rejoices, right? Of, of course, the story doesn't end there and things don't get any easier, but, you know, Mary at the end of her pregnancy must in, endure that long trip from Nazareth to Bethlehem, at the end of which she delivers Christ in a stable. You know, was she bitter? You know, did she shout out at God? You know, and now you can't even give me a decent place to give birth. Uh, not even one room. You know, was she like that? No. You know, as she held her child, the son of God, the prince of peace, she pondered all that had taken place, treasuring it in her heart. You know, and, and as you go through this Advent season, maybe this year hasn't gone how you planned, right? Maybe you expected life to be much different than it is. Perhaps you're even mad at God and you blame him for your circumstance. If so, you know, it's okay to be troubled, but, you know, I invite you to do it like Mary did and rejoice in the midst of your pain, right? Lay it all at the feet of the one who came to save you, whose birth we celebrate. Despite the struggle, Mary considered herself blessed because, you know, of what God did for her. And you too can, can ponder how he has blessed you, right? And it, 
it causes an inner an inner dialogue with yourself. In what ways has the past year been a struggle, right? How have you seen God work through your situation? Are you able to worship Jesus in the midst of those challenges? You know, in Luke chapter two, it says, you know, the angel said to them, do not be afraid for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. And there will, and that will be to all people for there is born to you this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find the babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. Imagine you're a shepherd in ancient Israel, right? Your job is mundane, it's dirty, and it's, it might be frightening to you. You know, you're out in the wilderness away from town, and the only light you see at night comes from the fire that you're huddled around or the moon hanging overhead, right? In that small field of vision, you're supposed to not only keep track of your sheep, but also protect them from attack. Now, Suddenly, a supernatural brightness, which Luke describes as the glory of the Lord, blinds your eyes, right? And there's somebody there, unlike anything you've ever seen before. You know, perhaps you immediately realize that it's an angel of the Lord, or, or maybe you're so consumed with confusion that it takes a minute for that to sink in, you know, that it's being from the heavenly realm. You know, either way, you're awestruck at the angel's first words, which are, do not be afraid. And, you know, all these instances where the angels are being seen and they're saying, do not be afraid, it, it makes me, you know, wonder more and more about Ezekiel, how they're described and, and you know, what they actually look like. And that. I guarantee it's not the, you know, the, the, the child playing the harp or the men and the women playing harps. And, and these are some real creatures, you know, um, you know, but it says, do not be afraid. Behold, I, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people for there is born to you this day in the city of David, a savior who's Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign for you. You will find the babe wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in the manger. So, you know, I wonder if the shepherds collapsed on the ground during that whole thing, right? We know that they felt fear, uh, but imagine the flood of emotions as they begin to realize that the angel of the Lord is proclaiming the news of the arrival of the Messiah right? Uh, the one promise since Genesis 3 who would come and rescue all of mankind. You know, for the Jewish people, this is, uh, you know, this is the one that they've been longing for. And the shepherds were, were some of the first to hear of his arrival. So if the knees of the shepherds hadn't buckled at that point, you can be sure that, you know, they, they must have when the, suddenly the sky lights up and, and one angel becomes a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill towards men, right? It's no surprise that they immediately ran to find the child in the manger uh, and, and returned passionately glorifying and praising God. You know, fear, confusion, joy, awe, you, you know, the shepherds likely experience a whole gamut of emotions on that night, right? What about you? <laughs> you know, well, what would you do? Uh, you know, do you, would you empathize w with the confusion and the fear? Uh, can you feel their joy? Uh, reread Luke chapter two and try to envision it from the shepherd's perspective, you know, and pray the Holy Spirit fills you with joy, <laughs> you know, during this Christmas season. You know, as you contemplate Christmas, you know, what, what are some of the ways that Jesus' birth brings you joy? You know, how's that, how is your life different today because of that pivotal moment in Bethlehem? You know, 
In Matthew chapter 2, it says, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, you know, he was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. And, and you can read that account in Matthew 2. You know, while the birth of Jesus brought joy and peace to Mary and the shepherds, it was a worst case scenario for King Herod. You know, he had generally... He was generally, uh, I would say, successful reigning as king. But, but Herod was near the end of his life, and he had grown paranoid, you know, angry, jealous. Uh, he was so desperate to maintain his throne that he murdered anyone that deemed, he deemed a threat, you know, especially his own family. You know, he's said to have killed his wife, uh, her two sons, her brother, mother, and grandfather, and even his, first, his, his own firstborn son. You know, it's no wonder that Herod was terrified when wise men from the east arrived asking, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? You know, I can imagine Herod, you know, f forcing a smile as he spoke with them, you know, go and search carefully for the young child. And when you found him, bring, bring word back to me that I may come and worship him also, you know. Imagine trying to lie and conceal all that hatred and dread. You know, he probably waved a friendly goodbye to the wise men before excusing himself to the back room where he exploded. You know, he's probably throwing vases or tearing his clothes or ripping stuff off the wall, you know, turning tables over. How can this be? I'm the king, right? No one will take my throne. He'll die first. And all he had to do was to wait on, you know, the foreigners to find the baby and report back to him. Then he'd take care of this issue before, you know, the boy was even old enough to crawl. You know, so we know the emotions that Herod was feeling, but we're also told in the passage that all of Jerusalem was troubled as well. You know, they knew enough about Herod to understand that he would spill innocent blood trying to protect his throne. And we find out that's exactly what happened, right? After the wise men were warned about Herod and slipped out of Jerusalem without returning to him, the king devised an evil, murderous plot, right? In a last attempt to stave off potential insurrection, he massacred, he massacred all the boys two years old and under in and around Bethlehem. So, you know, many innocent children died. Many families were left broken and devastated because of the actions of King Herod. Christ's arrival troubled Herod, Herod greatly, right, to the point of violence because it meant a shift of power. He was used to having all of the authority and, and running things his way. He was aggressively protective of his ruling kingdom. But the birth of Jesus, the king of the Jews, meant that he might lose these things he held so dear, right? So in Herod's mind, there was only room for one king on the throne, and he was not about to share it. The truth is that, you know, Herod was right. You know, there's only room for one king on the throne, but Herod wasn't that king. Jesus is. You know, so this year, you know, what is sitting on the throne of your heart? What things are you elevating above Jesus in your life? You know, maybe it's your job. Maybe it's your relationship. Maybe it's your, your hobby or your vice. Whatever, you know, you're living, maybe you're just living in a way that you know is not pleasing to him. Don't make the same mistake as Herod, right? Recognize that Christ is king and surrender full control of your life to him today. You know, it could be, you know, celebrating um, material celebration of Christmas or the spiritual celebration of Christmas. You know, in your daily life, what items do you elevate above your faith or can you reorder, you know, around, especially during this Advent season? 
Let's continue on to Matthew chapter 2, right? Uh, let's go to verse 9. Um, and when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So who were these foreign visitors that arrived at the steps of Herod's palace? You know, we, we know very little about them. They're often referred to as wise men or, or even kings. We do know that they were from the east, right, which encompasses so much territory, it's hard to pinpoint an exact location. While there are, you know, many fascinating theories about, you know, who these mysterious ambassadors were, their origin, their motivation, we can assume that they were well-educated, upper-class, and likely, most likely not Jewish. Uh, you know, one one would expect rich men of status to... Uh, well, usually send somebody to find this out. But these people, uh, you know, whatever their status was, they traveled across the vast expanse of the Middle East to track down a baby in Judah. You know, perhaps they studied the ancient texts of the prophets, which pointed to the coming Messiah, who was to be born in David's line in the small town of Bethlehem. You know, still, you know, their interest in the Jewish baby was not just intellectually or curiosity driven they came to worship him and, and you know unlike mary and the shepherds who were shaken from their everyday lives by this sudden jolt of a heavenly presence the wise men were able to you know do that over time they recognized a star in the sky that was leading them to the christ child and they follow they followed it until they found them so how did they respond at the end of their journey at that pivotal moment as it came to fruition, right? They rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Imagine the look on the faces of Mary, you know, the teenage mother and Joseph, the carpenter, when these exotic visitors enter in, kneel down and worship and then present gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You know, those are gifts, those, those gifts are of great value and, and they're befitting a king. As if a visit from the angels wasn't enough, now foreign dignitaries were, you know, entering their humble home. Not only had the heavenly realms proclaimed the arrival of the Savior, but earthly kingdoms were recognizing the importance of this moment as well. In the coming days, you'll likely be surrounded by family and friends. You know, hopefully many of them will know Jesus intimately, but others may be just like the wise men. They may be coming from a place far away, you know, not physically, but spiritually. You know, they may know of Jesus, but they've never met him. You know, I encourage you now, you know, to look for the opportunities to share the hope of Christ with them. You know, like the wise men, Jesus may be exactly what they're looking for. And once they find him, they too can rejoice with exceeding joy. Right. You have to think about what things bring you the most joy. You know, the wise men brought gifts to Jesus. So how are you using your gifts to bring glory to him? There are many reactions to Jesus' birth in, in that humble Bethlehem manger, right? Peacefulness, fear, excitement, anger, hatred, joy. You know, what about you? How do you respond to Christ? Like, how would you have? Like, like Mary, has Jesus entered your life and changed it for the better? Do you have peace and purpose because of him? Like the shepherds, has your experience with Jesus left you passionately praising God? Do people around you know about him because you can't keep your excitement to yourself? Are you like Herod? 
Do you believe that Jesus might interfere with your life, your place, or your power so much that you want him to stay as far away from you as possible? Or are you like the wise men, right? The visitors from the East who met the living God face to face and fell to their knees to worship him. What I'm asking is this, you know, have you fully surrendered your life to Jesus, to the one whose birth we celebrate this Christmas as your savior? Have you taken your brokenness and laid it at his feet? Have you allowed him to give you a new life? At Christmas, we celebrate the birth of Jesus, but there's so much more to the story. That baby who was fully God and fully man grew in wisdom and stature, teaching us incredible lessons about heaven and hell, sin and repentance, death and life. He ultimately went to the cross, paying your debt and mine as he bore our sins, right? He suffered and was crucified, but that wasn't the end, right? Jesus conquered hell and the grave, and he created a path for broken sinners like us to enter into the presence of our perfect and righteous God. We can have eternal life with him, you know, as we call on him as, as his name as Savior, you know, many people had many responses to the arrival of Christ, but today it's your response that really matters. What will you do with them? If you'd like to make Jesus the Lord of your life, you can express your feelings to him with a simple prayer. And, you know, those simple prayers, we talk about this all the time. It's, dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I want to turn from my sins. I ask for your forgiveness. I believe Jesus Christ is your son. I believe that he died for my sin and that you raised him to life. I want to trust him as my savior and follow him as Lord from this day forward. Guide my life and help me to do your will. Father, thank you for those who are praying that for the first time. Thank you at this time of new beginnings and new life uh, that when it's darkest, you sent your son, Jesus. He was born to die and he died for all of us, including me. Thank you that as we celebrate this season with loved ones, let us remember the joy, the ones who are no longer with us, that they brought us, the ones who brought us so much joy and you called them home early. As believers, we know that we share the faith that we will see them again, but for now, comfort us as, as they are so missed from us. Father, thank you for your design and your plan to right the wrong from the fall of man. And thank you for the sacrifice that Jesus made for us all. Jesus, you came to this earth so that we could get to know you. And now we gather to celebrate your birth. Because of you, we have a hope and a future. I pray that everyone listening to this is blessed this time of year, whether it's financially or emotionally or physically. Father, you know their needs before they ask. I pray as we face new challenges this season that you are there to comfort us. Let us fully understand and realize that Jesus is indeed the reason for this season. And for many, this season is new. And, and as they dedicate their lives to you, put the right people in their path and guide them to the right church so they can grow and learn more about you. So they can learn who is the son of the living God that came to earth just for me. And Father, not only for that, but, but not only did he come here as a baby to grow and die for me, but also that he's coming back and he's coming back as the rightful king in power and authority. Thank you for coming to earth for me and thank you for dying for me. And yes, thank you that you're coming back to your church. 
As we look and celebrate this season, we remember that it is about you and we cling to those who are dear to us tightly. Prepare us for the times that are upcoming and glory to God in the highest. Thank you that you did bring joy to this world and that joy is found only in you. Father, you know our hearts this season and you know the ones who are struggling that are brokenhearted for the ones who receive the awful news, for the ones who cry out in the darkness. Today we celebrate that the light has come to a dark world, and as John 16.33 says, take heart, for you have overcome this world. We celebrate beginnings this week, and we look forward to our futures in you. Bless your children around the world, from the ones who openly still acknowledge you to the ones who have to hide and are being persecuted for your sake. The whole world celebrates your birth. Thank you, Father, for sending your Son. In Jesus' name, amen. Remember this week, candlelight of purity, the Christ candle, the white candle. Listen, uh, this season, you know, the scripture says that if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. It's that simple, you know, and this life is so short, especially with everything going on in the world right now and the tensions and the sickness and everything. We're not promised another day right god came to earth and was born and so that he could die and take your place and your punishment all you have to do is reach out to him so on behalf of uh psalm 34 ministries and the tongue with dr mike uh, you know this poor man called and the lord heard him he saved him out of all his troubles right head over to the tonguespeakslife.com if you need a bible please just message us it's that simple and as we approach this Christmas season. Merry Christmas to you wherever you are. God bless you and we'll see you next time.